invite you that you would open your Bible with me tonight on this Communion Wednesday to the book of Joshua, chapter 22. We're coming now to the final stretch, final few chapters of the book of Joshua, knowing that the land has been divided, knowing now that the tribes each have their allocation of the land. And not only the tribes, but also the Levites have received their common lands for their livestock, as we looked at that last week. And then also, cities of refuge have been established for those that are running or fleeing for safety and protection. A city of refuge, a place for safety, a place for protection, a place for redemption. But now, here on chapter 22 of the book of Joshua, we see that there is another war taking place. But the war is not a war that is external, it's an internal war. <laughs> because the nation of Israel maybe has won the war with the Canaanites, but they're oftentimes always struggling with the war of the flesh. You see, what this reminds us in chapter 22 is that when we have victory in one area of our lives, the enemy will want to come and attack in a different way. <laughs> and and this, this chapter is so appropriate for us as we really come to the table of communion because it reminds us that we cannot belong to two tables. You can't belong to the table of the world. You can't sit at the seat of the world or the table of the world, or the world's table, and then come and sit at the table of the Lord. That's why we titled today's message, The Struggle of Being Divided. If you like writing notes, would you write that down? The Struggle of Being Divided. God had given them the land. He was faithful to give them the land. God had given them victory over all of their enemies. God camped his promises. They have made it to the promised land, but now it's time for a heart examination. Now it's time for a self-examination. Yes, we've arrived to the promises of God. We're at the promised land, but it's time to check our hearts. When was the last time that you had time in prayer and in the word where you can check your heart, you can check the purity of your heart or your motives. Because if there's something that we learn here in the 22nd chapter of the book of Joshua is that our heart cannot be divided. We have to pray, Lord, give us an undivided heart. A heart that is loyal to the Lord. Not only was the land divided, but some of them that were in the land, their hearts were divided. And because their hearts were divided, now they were divided with one another. You see, that's the strategy of Satan. That's the strategy of the enemy, that they, he would come and divide and conquer. So that we as believers are against one another. And that is the strategy that he uses to stop the church. Yes, they had won outwardly, but failing inwardly. Because some chose to be in a place that God did not call them to be. And notice this, 
Anything outside of where God wants you to be is living in sin. Anything outside of where God wants you to be is living in sin. That's what we have to ask the Lord every single day. Lord, where is it that you want me to be today? Where is it that you've called me to be today? I don't want to be emotional. I don't want to be moved by the desires of my flesh. I want to be moved by the Holy Spirit. Not be emotionally led, be spirit led. And be quick to hear and slow to speak. You see, when, when God gives us his word, he doesn't give it to us so that we would have an opinion, but he gives it to us so that we would obey. And notice what happens here in the struggle now of being divided because it says here in Joshua 22 verse 1, then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded you, and you have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given you rest or has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possessions which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask that tonight you would teach us to be sensitive to where you want us to be. That we would not resist your will. That as we would sing, Lord, have your way with us, that it would be true, not only from our lips, but also from our hearts. Lord, we turn in, we forfeit any type of agenda or plan because we'd rather be in your will than anywhere else. And we ask, so that, Lord, if, if our heart is divided today, Lord, that our heart no longer would be divided. Lord, that we would make things right with you. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the table of communion. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, amen. Now you notice here in the first few verses of chapter 22 that there was an honorable discharge. We see here that a few tribes, the three and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh were tribes that selected to settle on the east side of the Jordan River. Now why is it that they settled on the east side of the Jordan River? Because they saw that it was a land that was to give them wealth for their livestock. And it was beneficial for them physically. It was beneficial for them and for their possessions. <laughs> and they were thinking more about their possessions than they were thinking about God's promises. They were more possessive of what they had than they were possessed by the promises of God for them. <laughs> so now they go and they have received a charge back in Deuteronomy chapter th 3 or 31 where it says that the tribes of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites, they would go and they would help the nation of Israel conquer the land of Canaan and once they had rest that they would then go back and settle at the place of their choosing. But notice that's the place that they chose, that's not the place that God chose 
for them. And notice what happens here that Joshua called them and he tells them this with this faithful testimony, their proven testimony of these three and a half tribes that they faithfully stay to help their brethren. In fact, it says this, and they said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You have obeyed. You have kept everything that Moses, our leader, has commanded you. Not only that, but you've obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you as well. You've obeyed Moses and every order that he's given you, but you also obeyed now everything that I've told you now. You have pledged loyalty to Moses and also to Joshua. From one leadership to the other leadership, you have remained loyal and you have remained faithful. Yes, you have. So now even he says this in regard to their testimony in verse 3. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. You kept the commandment that God said you were to stay here. That God said you were to fight the battles with your brethren. That you were to conquer the land now. As the Lord have commanded you, you have obeyed every order that I have given you. Now notice this, these half tribe, these three tribes and a half, were loyal, they were obedient not only to their leaders, or to one of their leaders, but also to Joshua. Why? Because they knew that this is what God had instated. This is the leaders that God had installed. (laughs) So they were loyal to this leadership, which teaches us, and as we look at this verse, that far above our devotion to any leader, or far above our devotion to any nation, it's about our devotion to the Lord. It simply doesn't start with a man, it starts with the Lord. And these three tribes and a half stayed now and finished the work that they were given to to do. And in verse 4, it says that now they are released to go back to the east side of the Jordan River. And now the Lord your God, verse 4, has given rest. Circle that in your Bible, would you? Rest. God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents And to the land of your possessions, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. As God had promised, what did he give? Rest. Rest is a gift from God. Once again, God fulfilled his promises. And notice this, rest doesn't simply mean the end of war. But what rest carries now, it's the meaning of both security and victory. Rest is a security now and victory. In fact, as we talked about a few chapters before, the fruit of victory is rest. And we know that one day we are going to experience the full rest that comes with our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, God had promised them as he talked to Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 33, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I will give you security. I will give you victory. The presence of God always means rest. And that's why we've come today to find that rest in Jesus. In fact, when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we enter that rest in Christ because we are no longer at war with God. 
Did you know that when you are separated from the Lord, you haven't surrendered your life with the Lord? We are at constant war with the Lord because we are rebelling against his plan for our lives. But as we accept Christ into our lives, what does Romans chapter 5 verse 1 tell, tells us? Therefore, having been justified by faith, you are now right with God because of your faith. Now you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We no longer are at war with the Lord. Now we have peace with God because we have been justified by faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. And we experience, notice that rest, as we constantly every day yield to ourselves, to the Lord and to his plan. But notice what happens here as Joshua now commissions these now three tribes. And he says, now go and return to your tents to the lands of your possessions on the east because they fulfill their mission, they kept their promises, and they finished their work. But before he sends them off, he gives them now a careful warning. <laughs> yes, you're going to leave. Maybe you're called to somewhere else or you believe, you feel that you're called over there. <laughs> and he gives them here a warning, an exhortation in verse five. Let's read it together. Because he says, but take careful heed or listen. What does Joshua say? Number one, I want you to listen. <laughs> listen to do the commandment of the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord. To love, number one, the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, to hold fast or to hold firm to him and to serve him with all your hearts and with all your soul. Yes, he's going to send them, but he gives them a careful commandment to obey, to listen to the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord. And he commands them with this passionate exhortation like a good leader. Notice what he cares about. He cares and he's concerned about their spiritual walk more than anything else. You know, it's very sad oftentimes when we value people and we care more about their gifts than we do about their spiritual walk. We should be more concerned about the walk, the spiritual walk of our brothers and sisters than we are concerned about the gifts that they have to bring. Because what good is a gift if the walk is off? If the walk is off. You know what Joshua is saying? You're going to leave, but I'm concerned about that you have a proper relationship with God that includes, notice this, to hear, listen to the words that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave us. Don't ever stop listening to the word. And number one, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep and obey his commandments, or to hold firmly. What does it mean to hold firmly to them? To cling to them, to not let them go ever, so that you can serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, this is a prerequisite if we are to serve the Lord the right way. Because it's not simply about if you're doing ministry, it's about how you're doing ministry. It's about how are you serving the Lord? Are you serving him the right way? And notice what it starts with. It starts, this order is so important here. Because we should hear the voice of God. And as we hear the voice of God, we should give our love to him. Next, after we give our love to him, notice what it says in verse 5, that we would walk in obedience. That you would remain obedient. 
And when you mix this order or, or you, you get off in this order and, and you no longer want to love without hearing, notice what you get, love without hearing, what is it? It's heresy. You love and you don't listen to what's taking place. You accept anything. Or obeying before loving, what does that take you? Legalism. You see, this order is so important because he's teaching them to remain loyal to God. He's teaching us to be, remain loyal to God, that our loyalty cannot be divided. That's such an important principle. That's an important principle and an important precept, loyalty. What's sad oftentimes is that we are even today so given over to emotions that one day we are following the Lord and another day we turn our back on God. Or one day we're walking in one direction, but the next day we're following a different direction. Here he's saying, make sure you keep your loyalty to God. Your loyalty must never be divided. Isn't that what Christ did, Jesus himself? What did he say in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30? He said, he who is not with me is what? Against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus himself. He draws the line in the sand. He says, are you with me or are you not with me? Because whoever's not with me is against me. What did he also say? I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. That even those from their own household are going to be divided because of their loyalty to me. That is the cost of discipleship, your loyalty to God. That is the cost of discipleship, the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross that we come to remember, the blood that we remember. But it's also about the cost of discipleship that we would hear, that we would love, that we would keep, that we would hold firmly and serve him now. The very core and the character of the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice what happens here because loving God is more than just an affirmation, it's more than just an emotion, it's more than just a worship song or a feeling, it's obedience, it's loyalty, it's serving God above anything else that we're serving the Lord. And notice this, obedience to God doesn't produce a relationship. That's a works-based relationship. But obedience to God proves a relationship that already exists. Because we're saying, Lord, because we have a relationship with you, we will do nothing that is going to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. So he's commissioning them and he's sending them away. Notice what he says in verse six. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Their job was complete there. He sent them away with a blessing now. He sent them away because their responsibilities and their work was completed. He sent them away with instructions, he sent them away with a blessing, but he also sent them away with a warning. <laughs> and notice how they leave here. They leave the right way. They leave having finished what they did. But are they going to the right place? Are they going to the right place? Notice verse 7, it says, Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Basham, but to the other half, of it, Joshua had given a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. They were leaving the right way. Notice the testimony. 
They were faithful. They were diligent. They had become now a source of help, a source of leadership to the rest of the tribes as they helped them conquer the enemies and, and, and take and divide the land. And now it was their time to receive their land. But do you notice that every tribe received their land by lot, letting God choose their path for them, but they chose their place by pleasure? By pleasure? Now, verse 9 tells us this, verse 8. And he spoke to them saying, return with much riches. He blesses them on their way out. To your tents with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing, divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Take some of the spoil that we've received from all the wars that we fought together and divide that among yourselves. So now these three tribes and a half leave the rest of the nation of Israel and they go on to ready to cross the Jordan River back now to the east side, back into the wilderness. Isn't that oftentimes a picture of us that we go from the spirit-filled life, from being in the promises of God, from experiencing the victory that God has given us, and then we settle and we want to go back into carnality. We want to go back to where God took us from. And this is exactly where they were going. But notice, they left and they were very unhappy when they left because they were going to a place that God did not choose for them. They were going to a place that they chose for themselves. You're going to, we're going to end up in our lives oftentimes very miserable, very unhappy, very disappointed when we go, end up going to a place that God never led us to. And oftentimes we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, well, if you would just please take me out of this place, I would just serve you. I'm just asking you to just take me out of this situation when God didn't put you there to begin with. And notice what takes place here. So the children, verse 9 of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Moses had told them, you can have that land, but first you must help us now conquer the enemy. And they made this decision, these tribes, based on material gain, not on the basis of spiritual values. And this is important for us to realize because of the decisions that we make, are we making them based off the material gain that we are going to receive? Or are we making them based off the spiritual value and the benefit of where God wants us and where we will grow? How is it that we receive the discernment from the Lord? Because if it's always about material gain, then we're walking by sight and we're not walking by faith. What does the Bible tell us? Walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. And you notice what's happening as they're leaving now, the west side of the Jordan River, as they're leaving the promised land. What happens when they're leaving the promised land? They're going farther from the tabernacle of the Lord that was in Shiloh. And they're going closer now to the enemy. We oftentimes study these tribes and we call them borderline believers. <laughs> what is it that they want to do? They, they, they're undecided whether or not they want to be with the Lord or whether they want to go and follow their own pleasure 
and their own now desires. And when you become an undecided believer or undecided or neutral in, in when it comes to obedience, notice what you are. You're inconsistent. And we start to think, how close can I be to the world and still be right with God? How close can I get to this, this sin or how close can I, uh, can I now feed the appetite of the flesh but still be right with the Lord? <laughs> You see, that is the carnal man speaking. That is no longer us walking in the spirit. And notice, they're going to try to do things their own way. But we can do things our own way. We need to do things God's way. God has a certain order for the way he wants us to do things. And it's for the sake of accountability. We can't say, well, we don't like it that way. We're going to do it our own way. That's not discipleship. When we choose to obey the Lord and follow the Lord, it's not based off of our conditions, it's based off his conditions. And what did he say? If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. Now as we go on, we see here in verse 10, and when they came to the region of Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, now here is now the downfall. They're about to cross and they build a great impressive altar when they came near the Jordan before they crossed over back into the wilderness side. They built something, now another altar that was very impressive when God specifically said that they should not build other altars besides the altar that was at the tabernacle at the entrance of the tabernacle. And then oftentimes it's us. We want to build our own altar. <laughs> well, I want to worship the Lord, but I want to worship him my way. <laughs> I don't really have to go to church. I, I can worship the Lord at home. <laughs> I don't really have to have other believers for accountability. I, I talk to God every night. And, and you see how they're making that, or they're catering to the flesh instead of being obedient to the Spirit. We have to be careful that we don't start to cater to the flesh. When we start to be tempted by the desires that the enemy brings to our lives. Because they build an impressive altar. And notice the, na the nation of Israel, they heard someone say now. They heard about this. They heard that these tribes resorted to an artificial means to let people know that they were God's people. They, they build their own altar. They try to manufacture or to force something as if it's of God. This is a divided heart. When we try to build something for ourselves to give an appearance as if we are in God's will. Did you know that it's very easy to try to fabricate that something is of the Lord when it really isn't from God? When we say, the Lord showed me this, well, did he really show you? Or are you making things up, forcing things out of context so that you can do what you want to do? And they build their own altar to try to remain now in God's will when that wasn't God's will for them. And it said, they heard, and behold, the children of Reubenite, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, now circle that word, heard of it, when the children 
of Israel heard of this, they had an immediate reaction. And the reaction that they had was one that was impulsive. They wanted to go to war with their own brethren. They wanted to go with the war within themselves that the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Why do they want to go to war against them? Because they misunderstood what they were trying to do. And they look now at these tribes and they want to accuse them. They want to assume to them. They're looking for who to blame. They're looking for who is their fault. You see, it reminds us of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. What does it say? He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is fully and a shame to him. There are oftentimes we see our brethren, and, and what happens? You see a brother and a sister, and you see them doing something, and instead of praying for them or bringing the truth in love to them, what do we decide to do? Let's go to war with them immediately. And we go on defensive mode. We want to attack. What does the Bible say? If you who are strong and spiritual see a brother falling, you who are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of what? Gentleness. In the spirit of gentleness. So they confronted them, it says here in verse 13, and the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. And with them, ten rulers, a ruler from each of the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of their father among the divisions of Israel. And then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke to them, saying, what they heard, then they came and spoke to them. They confronted them at Gilead. Why did they confront them? Because they didn't want this other altar to be a competition to the one true altar that they had built at the entrance of the tabernacle. And notice what they say, verse 16, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. They come and they now attack them. Thus says the congregation of the Lord. Now they're saying, you're not the congregation of the Lord. We are. You're wrong and we're right. This is who we are. We are the Lord's people. And notice their message. It says, what treachery or what rebellion or what sin... Treachery means a transgression, or why are you willfully disobeying the Lord? Are you willfully disobeying him? Is that that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, that you have built for yourselves an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Why, what are you doing? Are you building a, an altar to sacrifice to someone else? Because altars represented a place of sacrifice. And God had commanded them that they were not to build their own altars. Now notice what happens here in this verse, verse 16. They come and they confront them. It says, why is it that you are going to sin before the Lord? In fact, they go on and they say this in verse 17 now. Did you not learn from the lessons of the past? Was not the sin and the judgment of, of God from the past, was that not enough? And here they are confronting them about something that they're assuming they're doing. Notice, it's very important that before we start to accuse people, that we wait and we are not quick to assume or to accuse, but that we wait and we pray for them. So the Spirit of God can use us to minister to these people. 
Because the moment that we start to assume things, notice God can't use you to minister to them. We have to listen to the Lord. And notice this, we have to have compassion. Then notice what takes place here. Is this iniquity or is the iniquity of Peor not enough from us or for us from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a great plague in the congregation of the Lord? Do you not remember when we disobeyed the Lord at Peor? What happened there? There was a great plague. Why? Because some of the men now in the nation of Israelites, they started to worship the Moabite gods and they committed immoral acts with the woman of Moab. And 24,000 people died because of their disobedience. Do you not remember when the Lord judged us because of our disobedience and now you want to backslide? They start to judge them. But verse 18, but they... You must turn away this day from following the Lord. What do you think that you are, you are okay with being disobedient to the Lord? And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. What are they saying? You're one person's sin or this few tribes, their sin would affect the entire congregation. See, they're speaking the truth, but they're speaking it out of context. They're not speaking it in love. Was it true? Yes, it was true that one person's sin does affect those even around them. And he's saying, well, what is exactly that you're doing? These leaders that have been sent now to protect or to purify now what's taking place. Nevertheless, if the land of your possessions is unclean, they say, if where you're going is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possessions of the Lord or come stay with us where the Lord's tabernacle stands. And take possession among us, but don't rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Don't rebuild another altar that God has not asked you to build. You see how interesting this is that oftentimes we start to build things that God never told us to do? That's also sin. Because they're taking place outside of God's will. We put our hand to something that God never called us to. God didn't ask him for an altar. God asked them for obedience. In fact, he reminds them in verse 20, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed things and wrath fell into all the congregation of Israel and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity? Don't you remember Achan? What happened to Achan in Joshua chapter seven that he took what belonged to the Lord. He stole it. He hid it in his tent and now the nation of Israel experienced now defeat because of disobedience. God's anger fell upon the congregation of Israel. They experienced defeat and the judgment of God. And they are reminding them, don't you remember God's judgment? Your sin will affect us. Now there's a danger when we begin to do this. And we start to assume the worst out of people without knowing their intentions or their motives. That's what we have to slow down. They had the right information, but they had the wrong implication. What does this mean? What are they doing? And notice how they respond here, these tribes. And the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, now they're going to defend themselves to offer an explanation. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods. Two times. They're appealing here now to God's mighty name, the Lord of Israel. 
the God Elohim, the God El, El, the mighty one. In its Hebrew original context, it says the Lord Jehovah Elohim, the one true God. And, and they're now here giving a solemn oath as to what they're doing. He knows, and let Israel itself know, it is, if it's in rebellion or if it's in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. God knows our hearts. And if we are being disobedient, don't save us, don't defend us this day. But if we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if we are to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. They're saying we are not doing anything to disobey the Lord. Let the Lord require an account from us. We are not building any rival altars. You see, it is important that we make sure that in our lives, we are not building any altars that stand as a rival to the altar that belongs only to the Lord. But we are to serve him alone. But notice what they're doing here in verse 24. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason saying. This is what we're actually doing. And look how they explain themselves. In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, what you have to do with the Lord God of Israel. So the reason why we're doing this is because in generations to come, we don't want your generation to tell us that we have nothing to do with the God of Israel because we live so far. Now notice this, that they start to blame the future generation of those that were actually living in obedience. And they were saying, we're afraid because of the geographical distance that this location or this distance will isolate us and cause us and Israel to reject our future generations. Now notice this, they were the ones that created that separation, not the Lord. They were the ones that walked away from the Lord, but they're creating or they're striving to create something to keep them connected to God's promises. Isn't it often our intentions that we want to stay connected to the Lord, but still step away? <laughs> well, we want to step away, but in some way, we want to create an altar so that we are still connected to you, Israel. But that's not truly being governed by God. What does the name Israel mean? Governed by God. Now verse 26, it says 25 and 26. For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. The Lord did not make the Jordan a border between them. The Lord made the Jordan that they would cross it and it would represent them crossing over to the spirit-filled life. It would remind them of now taking steps of faith and obedience. You have no part in the Lord, so your descendants would make our descendants cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings or not for sacrifices. This replica is not a substitute, but it's so that we can have a memorial, a witness, a testimony to remind your future generations that we also belong to the Lord, that we worship the same God, that we belong as well. But that it may be a witness, verse 27, between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, and that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. You see, they were creating a system for themselves to protect themselves from now believing in their mind that the nation of Israel no longer would accept them because they lived in the other side of the Jordan. 
You see here how oftentimes we try to create something to keep us associated or affiliated, but it doesn't work. And we begin to, when we begin to create our own altars, you know what it does? It only creates confusion. It only creates division. It only creates division. So it says here now, therefore, verse 28, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. We haven't created this to worship on it or to burnt sacrifices on it. The real motivation for us is that you would remember us. But what was, it? what was it that they really wanted? They were really truly motivated by their wealth on the east side of the Jordan. We want to go back, but before, we want to leave something so that you would remember that we worship the same God. Why? Because they were chasing material wealth. They were chasing comforts. They were chasing their pleasure. Paul tells the church in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek those things which are above. Don't build your own altar. So in verse 29, far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build, notice what it says, an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. We don't want to do that. And they continue, now when Phineas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation of the heads and the divisions of Israel who were with him heard the words of the children of the Reuben, of the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, what they spoke, it pleased them. Well, they were pleased. They didn't want to go at war with them anymore. It said, it pleased them, verse 30, but did it please the Lord? But did it please the Lord? You see, oftentimes what we do and when we explain ourselves to people, we may say, you know what? Well, that, that pleased them. We, we are okay. We are united now. But just because we please others doesn't mean that God is pleased. Whose approval are we seeking? Are we seeking it from the world? Are we seeking it from people? Are we seeking it from a man? Or are we seeking it from the Lord? But did it please the Lord? Verse 31, then Phineas. The son of Eliezer, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of God, and the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. Now we think that God is among us. Why do they think that? Because they were not sinning. They're trying to protect the holiness of the nation of Israel. So they said, we think that the Lord is among us because his hand will not judge us because they have not committed a sin. And Phineas, the son of Eliezer, verse 32, the priest and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So this thing pleased the children of Israel again. Notice what happens. They're praising God or they're satisfied with this compromise. It's very important that we are never satisfied with compromise. That we are never satisfied with We are not ever satisfied with something other that would take us away from the very presence of the Lord. 
And the children of Israel blessed God, and they spoke no more of going against them to battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Agad dwelt. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar a witness, for it was a witness between us that the Lord is God. They built this as a witness, these stones, to remind themselves that they were of the same people that were worshiping the same God. But notice this, God doesn't want a stone for a witness. God wants lives that are changed as witnesses. God doesn't want a man-made altar. You know what he wants? A transformed life. And part of the nation had a spiritual outlook. But the other part was concerned about material things. And notice what they settled with. And it's important that we don't settle with this. They settled at peace at any price. Peace at any price isn't God's will for his people. We can't say, well, we, we, are, we want peace, so we will, we will forfeit now holiness, we will forfeit purity, we will forfeit truth or convictions at the, in the name of peace or in the name of now unity. The decision that they made here in Gilead was on the basis of human wisdom, not God's truth. It was on the basis of human wisdom. What does the Bible tell us? James chapter one, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, is gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. What does that mean for us? That the peace that the Lord is honored with is the peace that never compromises truth. It's the peace that never compromises purity. And in our relationships, in our walk with the Lord, in our home, in our church, with our family, as we pursue peace, as we pursue unity, we must never magnify. And I want you to get this very closely as we read this. We must never magnify unity over purity and over truth. Because that's not the type of unity that pleases a God. That is just superficial. The unity that pleases God is one that is based of the truth of the word of God, one that is based on obedience. I love what Matthew Henry, the well-known Bible commentator said, peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it but the truth. But the truth. Yes, we are to speak the truth in love, but we are never to compromise the truth for the sake of unity. There's so many things taking place in our world right now that, is, that, that people want to unite for any reason. We ought to speak the truth in love, but we are never to compromise the truth in the name of unity. You know where unity is truly found? And for the body of believers, the unity that is truly found for the body of believers, the unity that will last for the body of believers is at the foot of the cross. If we want unity, we, want it, we need to find it at the foot of the cross, there where we understand what love is. There where we understand what love is. What did the Bible tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And before we seek unity anywhere else, we have to seek it between us and the Lord. We need to seek that peace. Because we know that our sin separates us from the Lord. 
And it is only the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, that cleanses us at the altar called Calvary. That's the altar we need to stay at. That's the place where unity can be found, at the altar of the place called Calvary. We never find unity outside of the cross. Why do we find it there? Because there at the altar, at the place called Calvary, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. At the altar where the lamb was slain for our sins, for you and for me. At the altar of Calvary, where our own lives have been altered. <laughs> where our own lives have been changed because of the finished work of Christ that he did by his grace for us. What does the Bible tell us in 1 John chapter 1? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Because we're walking in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we're lying, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what the Lord desires today? That we would not compromise, but that we would confess. And say, Lord, today we want the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. See, the table of communion that we're about to participate, we do it in remembrance of the cross, in the remembrance of Calvary that washes from our sin. And it is our desire that we would do it together as a church. But the Bible specifically says that it is not for everyone, that we are not to take it in an unworthy manner. It's not for the unbeliever. It's for the believer that's walking right with the Lord. Maybe today you have to say, Lord, I don't want to compromise anymore. I don't want to step away from your presence. I want to step back into your presence. I want your blood to cover me from all sins so that I can participate of your table. I no longer want the table of the world. I want to participate and have a seat at your table. Let me let you know something. When Jesus went to the cross, he made room and the table of communion for you. So maybe today you want to say, Lord, forgive me. I need peace with God right now. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me of my sins. I no longer want compromise. I want you to just right there where you are, just raise your hand because we want to pray before we take communion. Amen, I see your hand. Praise the Lord. 